Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to jump into this conversation that we'll be having about organizational culture. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with Peter Drucker's very well-used and very true quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And many people, including myself, and I would guess my uh, guest Marty, would also go so far as to say culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, So we're going to dig into all of that culture in very simple terms. And this is very simple terms. It's not, it's far more complex than this, but culture can really be defined in basic terms as the way we do things around here. And culture is guided by purpose and values. And so as a result, it can be tested during a crisis right? Our values are often tested during a crisis, like the one that we're facing right now, the pandemic. So what really is organizational culture at the end of the day? Why should organizations and the C-suite care about it? Especially now when there are so many different (laughs) fires and issues drawing their attention, Right? And can organizational culture really drive the bottom line and be a true competitive advantage? So we'll explore all of this and more with my guest, Marty Parker. Welcome, Marty. Thanks, Nicole. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. So Marty, let me just say, share a little bit about Marty. Marty's a, a colleague and a friend, and Marty is also the CEO and founder of Waterstone Human Capital, a leading retained executive search firm specializing in recruiting for fit. And it's also a cultural talent management organization, which provides leadership development, succession planning, cultural assessment, and cultural alignment consulting for entrepreneurial-minded, high-growth organizations across North America. Marty is a frequent commentator and keynote speaker on issues surrounding leadership and organizational culture and has provided expert commentary on the impact and importance of corporate culture and human capital for CNBC, The National Post, Canada AM, BNN, and a number of others. Marty founded Canada's Most Admired Cultures 16 years ago, and this is an annual program that recognizes best-in-class Canadian organizations for having a culture that has helped them enhance performance and sustain a competitive advantage. Marty is also the author of the book, Culture Connection, How Developing a Winning Culture Will Give Your Organization a Competitive Advantage, and a book that I just finished reading and loved. I was just telling Marty that the number of examples included in this book is so powerful and really brings it to life. So Marty, welcome. And I'm going to start with a question that I ask all of my guests which is aligned to the theme of this podcast, Leading on Purpose. I'm always curious to know what a leader's purpose is, what's, what's guiding them. So what's your purpose? And it might be evolving and it might have evolved over the years, but what, what is your purpose as a leader? Well, I think it's, it, it maybe is perhaps my, perhaps, because I think we, we, 
you know, our life's journey is, is that, not a destination, but a journey. But I think really um, it's to unlock the potential of people uh, by, by, helping, um, by helping organizations build uh, or inspire them to build high-performance cultures. And I think when it comes to my own team or teams, my family team, I, my wife and I have five children um, who are far, far from children anymore, but uh, between 24 and 16, or the people at Waterstone or our clients, it's really to, to understand them better and to share with them uh, best practices that uh, really can enhance their culture to drive results or competitive advantage because your your culture is either, either that and your definition or the simplicity of it is probably not enough. You're right. Um, you know, your culture is either your competitive advantage or disadvantage because you can you can copy strategy, you can, you know, find people, uh, hopefully great ones, but to duplicate the collective behavior of an organization, it's impossible. So it's either driving you forward or it's not. And so uh, sharing those best practices that we learned through Canada's Most Admired, uh, helping to, to help people find their own purpose uh, is, is really what, what, I, what really kind of floats my boat. Well, I learned, I felt like I learned a little more about you when I, when I opened the first chapter of your book and you, you shared um, how your youth really helped to shape your trajectory in your career, um, where you recognized you were more of an observer. Can you share a little bit about that? I found that really interesting. Well, it was probably the most interesting to me when I was asked by our publisher 11 years ago to write that because I, it, I was not preparing to write that. And it's really introspective. You have to think about yourself. And I don't think um, I had ever self-described or been described as an observer. It lends itself to someone who might be more introverted uh, and really tuned into others as opposed to being a, an extroverted connector. But I noted that I came from a family of six kids and the five, my five siblings were nine years apart. The eldest being 18 years my senior, uh, not only my brother, but my godfather and, and has been a great champion for me in many things as they all have in different things. And then the next closest to me, the fifth, nine years older, my sister. And so, you know, I was certainly uh, a bit of a novelty for them, possibly, and for my parents, less so, <laughs> so five times. But there were really kind of five things that were kind of really important in our family, uh, which, you know, you just learn by showing up and being there. And they were, in fact, our family. Uh, it was faith really driven by my mother and the Catholic Church. It was school education. She was a teacher. Uh, it was sports, but they were both very supportive of sports or activities and music, which was also uh, an important part. And, and I, I, I think I recognize that most of your recognition uh, and, and good times came from, from that five. And I became a bit of an observer in, in all of my siblings who had relative strengths and weaknesses, as did I, in, in, in those areas. And so you become an observer so that you can, you know, try to learn and experience and do some of those things to get the love and recognition that in that day of recognizing outcomes more than contribution uh, was very important. But it, it really did, as I thought about it, shape my upbringing, how I kind of viewed the world. Um, and, um, you know, I, I kid back when the, when the movie High School Musical came out, I was very involved in sports. And then they had musicals at my school and my mother encouraged I get involved. And I did. And, 
it was weird because here I was with two kind of groups of people that didn't overlap a lot, but what a great gift for me to be able to have that experience with, with both. And I've, I've really uh, learned a lot and I tribute my siblings and my parents for kind of giving me the opportunity to, uh, and a unique position in, in my family to, to be able to kind of observe, emulate, experience, and truly determine what I, what I, what my passions were. Oh, wonderful. And that, that emulating piece, I want to come back to that when we look at culture and really understanding what top performers are doing, that, that leaders really want everybody else to emulate to drive that culture. So that emulation piece and observing behavior, I find that really fascinating that that shaped you because it's such a big part of growing organizational cultures. Um, so tell us, Marty, Waterstone um, Human Capital is an executive search firm, and you founded Canada's most admired um, companies and, and cultures. Can you tell us about that program and how did that come to be? Well, we've become kind of a corporate culture solutions business with our core business being search, but we're now, you know, we've, we've been in the leadership training business for a few years now and longer than that in the culture and engagement measurement and advisory business. But, you know, I think Canada's most admired in my earlier search career, uh, I, I recognized, you know, when I was starting to do work that there were great candidates out there and I would present them and hear back from clients that they didn't fit necessarily. And I thought, how can this superstar not fit? I mean, they're I was caught up in it a little bit, but I, but in listening to that and wanting to, to, to do it right, I started to say, well, what's fit? And it, it became clear that fit was in their culture. What, what's culture? That series of behaviors that drives outcomes uh, that are hopefully positive. And so in, in, I, I realized I had to understand the culture. And so years, a few years later, when launching Waterstone, we did it on this idea of recruiting for fit. And so the thinking to be quite, um, to be quite transparent and authentic was, first of all, if we're going to roll the dice on this, because not everyone wanted to talk about culture in 2002, three, four, um, could we somehow validate that it's, it's worth investing our entire value proposition on? So that was number one. Number two was, if it is, then possibly we can brand build quite quite selfishly, but also learn, stay close. So we can learn in those days, Nicole, more about how we go to market. Uh, Stay close to customers, they'll show you the way. Uh, And we were really fortunate in that we did a study, a literally research, and we partnered with Canadian Business, who, um, you know, under the, the publishership of Brian Siegel and then editor Joe Chidley said, sure, we'll write about it if it's interesting. And that certainly gave us exposure. Um, and they, but we had no view or line of sight quite then for an awards program. It was to really see if we could get some traction. And they wrote on the cover of that uh, October 2004 edition of their bimensual ma- uh, magazine, read inside to learn about Canada's most admired cultures. Hmm. And, and Interesting. Calls. How do we win this? Well, there was no awards program. So um, the initial thought was stay close to customers, learn about the area we're interested in, validate to see if we had something. And it was really in very short order, we realized we did that it wouldn't necessarily be for everybody then. And that's when we literally recruited those early leaders in human resources, capital, and CEOs who really had a passion for culture to become independent board members to adjudicate on this new awards program and started to craft it and build it. Uh, And that seems like a long time ago now, but it does go fast. 
It, it absolutely goes fast. So what have you, I mean, you've seen, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of not only applicants, but many, many winners from, you know, CEOs to organizations. Um, what have you learned about culture over these past 16 years? If we're you were still to, learning. Yeah, good. Yeah, you're still learning. We're still learning. Um, it's really an evolving social science, I would say. But I would say uh, a huge part of it was that there was a real, it would be, you know, we would be remiss to call it underground. When people like Peter Drucker in the 1950s are talking, as you referenced, about culture and strategy for breakfast, there, there is real, always has been a subset of leaders and, and academics, and, but more importantly, uh, leaders that felt that, that if you got the environment and culture right and that behavior through people, that you're, you would outperform your, your nearest competitor and, uh, and you would keep people and you had something special. Um, what we've learned is that a lot of it comes down to alignment. And a lot of it comes down to understanding first what that culture is. Uh, because if you do nothing, you you will still have a culture. Yes, so, culture by default. No, and that that has worked when it's done right, and not when it hasn't. But understanding, knowing the oneself or the organizational self is really important. And then it's a question of aligning to the right people, the right human capital systems, uh, and which include you know obviously recruitment, retention, training, development, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then staying on it to understand how through life cycle, through time, through business circumstance, through uh, pandemic even possibly, who knew then, that your culture was at least uh, flexible enough and could evolve. And then how would you shape or curate that culture? So, it, it you know, we used to chalk it up to people who are passionate about it and get it, seem to do better than those who don't. But it's because they really felt that it was the competitive advantage. And the, the term wasn't used as much then. Um, and so the reality of it is that we are typically in organizations like anything, catching up to societal changes and, and developments and culture really has to reflect that too. But when leadership really aligns to how they do things, the outcomes are exceptional. I mean, when we compare Canada's most admired winners, those in the private sectors, because we it's different data point from the public sector, I'll give you one data point, and we compare it to, uh, you know, the, the TSX S&P uh, 500 index, Canada's biggest and, and best, you know, over the course of 15 of those 16 years, uh, Canada's most admired outperformed them by 850%, eight, eight, eight times five uh, on three-year average revenue growth. And we wow. Into a number of other things. But I mean, that is, that's no, that's, it's not 30% or 15% or 5%. Uh, it's significant. And I think there's something to that. So we've always been chasing forward, trying to find what organizations are doing and, and really trying to be open book about it, open source court, if you will, because the mm -hmm. complete vision of that program is to help Canadian organizations in sharing this information become more competitive on a global scale. I love that. We have a couple of minutes until break. And I'm curious, when you talk about leadership alignment, which is so important, what are the CEOs of the Canada's Most Admired Winners? What, what do they all have in common? Huh, what a tough question. What do the CEOs all have in common? Well, in their own ways and, and styles, um, I think a, a real commitment to how they do things. 
a, a real uh, true commitment that measuring behavior uh, on a collective scale, but also down to an individual leader is, is critically important. Ensuring that their leaders uh, are aligned to that. And that um, the ones that I think are in that top even five or 10% somehow understand that when they're doing exceptionally well is the time that they're most worried about their culture because they, that, that they somehow feel that, you know, uh, this could get off the rails and we could be, you know, in spite of ourselves, because in fairness, you can have a not great culture and be successful, mm-hmm. or you can have a culture that not everyone wants to be at. I mean, there's not a lot, sure, there's a that's lot a good point. today that don't want their kids or loved ones to work at Amazon. But right. I think Jeff Bezos knows exactly the kind of culture they're trying to disintermediate the, the uh, you know, global supply chain channels. They're doing a heck of a job at it. They have their own model to do it. And you're going to work. They're going to attract the, the brightest of the bright. They're going to work them very hard, have a great environment, but it's not for everybody. But they know exactly. They're purposeful in what they're doing. So I think those kind of commonalities exist. But, uh, but again, and they're open-minded. because They're always trying to learn from what other organizations have done to see if it can apply to to their organizational culture. I love what you said. Well, all of it in particular, um, the message around don't take your culture for granted, right? Even focus on it in good times because it's, you never know when the hard times are going to come and culture happens even in a void when nothing, we're not actively creating it. Um, So we are going to dive into more about how to create a high-performing culture that will drive your business forward in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, Leading High-Performance Teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit KAND. Dot co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. 
Hey, I want to let you all know that Waterstone is hosting a virtual corporate culture summit at the end of this month on October 22nd from 4 to 6 Eastern time. And it's complimentary. It's free. Um, They'll have a number of guest speakers, a summit. I really encourage you. I'll be registering for it. I really encourage you to register at waterstonehc.com. And while you're there, sign up for their newsletter. Should be a great, a great summit. I know it's tricky. So many of our plans for in-person conferences, right, have gone by the wayside, but we adjust and, and we still find ways to, to share learning and knowledge and bring people together. So that's great. So, so Marty, why should senior leaders care about culture right now? Well, first thing is, as we were talking about, uh, Nicole, I mean, they should always care about culture because culture, outper- you know, Focusing on culture and aligning it in your organization will outperform your peers. But now more than ever, we've had this massive event uh, or series of events that continues in in COVID-19. And there's been a big impact to our workplace culture. And, uh, you know, we cannot predict the future. At least I can't. I never have been able to. But I can assure you that we are going to, for some time, if not from time immemorial, Uh, be involved in some sort of a hybrid world where some of us are going to want and continue to work in an office. Some of us won't at all and won't need to and won't come in. And then there will be a whole other group and possibly even the majority, who knows, that is in some sort of a hybrid themselves where they're coming in and out when they see uh, fit. In fact, most research suggests that most people want some combination, uh, but in, depending on where you are in the world today, they, most people are still, if they can, working remotely. So this is going to require <laughs> uh, great intent and a lot of hard work around both sustaining and growing your culture. Uh, leaders have not necessarily been as equipped as we would like to be to You know, we may have had meetings. Uh, I've had many over the last number of years, but I've never really had to rely on most of my interactions with my own team members being digital. And so this is uh, uh, requiring a whole new set of of skill sets. Uh, But also these things will, whether we want them to or don't, have an impact on our culture. And so the real question that, that leaders are asking today is, how can this be positive or accretive? How can I take advantage of this opportunity? Um, How can I lead? And I I think we're already seeing even some leaders saying, it's not for me. And that's okay. I'd I'd rather contribute, be an individual contributor than have to lead in this way because it's going to be harder. Uh, And as much as it may uh, help us uh, and help our team members uh, in many ways, from a lifestyle perspective, from a work perspective, when you're trying to build and you're an expert at building high-performance teams, uh, it, it certainly will require new skills, new mindset, and a lot of energy. And so, if you haven't, for any of the other great reasons, driving performance, retaining people, finding new people, cared about your culture in the past, if you don't now, I, I think we're now moving from culture eat strategy for breakfast culture is at the center of business strategy. And so um, for those reasons and more, uh, and I do think the outcome, both for those of us that are in leadership roles and for team members is going to be a much greater uh, connection and sense of purpose, but not Mm -hmm. without a lot of work and a lot of change. 
Absolutely. I, I sense that it really is the difference between surviving and thriving your culture at the end of the day. Right. right? You know, it's interesting. Um, I saw, I shared some very, you know, valuable research today on LinkedIn that came out from Google on why psychological safety, right, is so critical to an organization's culture and engagement and all of that. And there's a ton of research on psychological safety. And I'm so glad that there's more research, but but do organizations really need more research to make the decision to, to shift culture when really at the end of the day, culture isn't a nice to have. It's, it's a must have, right? The right culture for your organization. And ideally, it is one that is psychologically safe. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think for a minute that this should be surprising. Right. But it's an absolute requirement. It's not even a nice to have now to create an environment of psychological safety. Uh, societal reasons we you know all you need to do is look at generation you know gen gen uh, the millennials look at generation z or z look what's coming after we've raised kids now in this environment with where they've negotiated what room they have to their part yeah. of conversations on their school to to where your the family vacation is going to be and then right. they into the workplace and we're surprised that they want to throw out ideas or be a part of brainstorming, or you know, truly feel that they can um, they cannot be judged. And then we we overlayer what's going on with you know social media, and the fact that they're judged instantaneously all the time. Some of them are digital natives, some of them aren't. Uh, but in reality, of course, they are concerned. Um, and so, as as leaders and organizations, we're just catching up to what's already happened. So you're right. Does any more research need to be done? No, but a lot more training needs to be done. A lot more understanding needs to be done. And frankly, um, it, it changes the leader from uh, adapt to me. Mm-hmm. I need to adapt to you, and not you, my team, but you, my individuals in my team, uh, and creating that environment and doing all sorts of things that we were never really trained in whether it's business school or in life, other than maybe being a parent. Um, and so um, it's, it's an absolute fundamental requirement. And I don't think in four or five years, we're going to be talking about psychological safety, other than if it's not there. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So Marty, where should a leadership team then or, you know, yeah, the senior executives, let's start with the senior, the senior leadership team. Where does an organization start? Really, A, understanding their culture and defining their culture, shifting their culture. It seems like such a big task. How can we simplify it? Where can a team start at the top in particular? Well, you started with it. You, you know, in order to start in anything, you need to understand who you are. So, you know, ensuring that, and it shouldn't necessarily only be a conversation because culture is defined by what your team members tell you it is. So ideally, if you mix a quantitative study, your own engagement, but also culture, work and survey, and some qualitative work so that you can truly understand the emotion and feeling behind it, there's a reason for both quantitative and qualitative methods. And that's a starting point. The next, and, and, and then some, you know, getting to grips with reality with the good and the not so good of that. And, and then looking at where the organization wants to go, uh, both in terms of its business, but more importantly, in its culture, 
And I call it, you know, a from to exercise. The, the from is about definition. The two is effectively saying, where do we want to be? Pick your timeline, I, three years, four years, five years. And if you identify those as closely as you can to where you are, you can quickly determine what, what's different. You know, where is it that you want to get to? And that's when the conversation really continues and gets deeper to say, okay, let's say there's four or five of these behaviors that we want to, we want to kind of get to. The first thing and the worst thing is to try to attack them all. You know, right. it's really pick a few and the ones that are closer to where you are today, easier to evolve from. You know, it's like when you're starting to work out, you don't go in and do your first two hour workout, uh, even if you're training for a, a triathlon, uh, as hard as you can go. I mean, you might be on the treadmill walking your first day. And so picking those behaviors and working on those do a few things really well. But I must say, if the leaders then need to have the behavioral tools to be able to ensure that that transition takes place, because it will not happen overnight. You know, moving culture, it's moving faster now than ever, but it's because of the pandemic. We're, we're adapting, we're testing. But unless it's a crisis, we, you know, it's like moving an aircraft carrier in a, in a, in a smaller river. Um, and so uh, you, you need to take your time and nudge it along. Uh, and, and get the commitment of leaders to do so. And then with today's technology, it's about checking in with, first of all, those direct reports of the leaders, and then giving those managers the tools they need through training and development, through awareness of why and why it's more important, and unlocking kind of their individual purpose in terms of how they can help that evolution best. Do few things really well based on where you want to go and measure in increments along the way. It, Pulses, three, four questions. And then let's kind of address this uh, to the point. Celebrate those those little nudges, you know, those right. little forward. The small wins, yep. Because yeah. we, you know, I grew up in that era where I'd come home from doing a test and my mom, who was an amazing woman, would say, what did you, how'd you do? And I'd give her 75 and so, well, you know, an 80 would be good next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For us today, we, as parents, you know, we're much much better. In Everybody gets an award <laughs> for showing up dinner tonight. No, you've done fantastic. So, and, and that's actually more good than not, but that's the way the world is today. And so we need to embrace the age of participation medals and that, you know, that contribution drives recognition because as we make any change and going back to safety, you know, if we're anything in life, we need to we need to have the ability to get over our fears or make it safe that we'll try things. With trial comes experience. With experience comes more failure and then iteration that leads to success and so on and so forth. It's no different in organizations. And when we're looking, we need to first understand our culture and make it safe for that transition to occur slowly, measure it as we go and, and kind of celebrate those wins. But we've, we've left one step out and that is if you do fewer things you then are going to need to update your systems, whether it's training or compensation or whatever in communication to support those two or three things. Trying to do five is mm -hmm. too difficult. So that's kind of the recipe, um, but, uh, but it, you know, it's not a precise one, uh, but it certainly works. Right. Especially if there's accountability and commitment to, to that, right? Um, and it's that I think what you had said, one of the things that those CEOs of Canada's most admired have in common is the focus, right? Focus on how 
they do things. And so being focused on them on doing the right things first that drive the right culture for us and our people and our customers. Um, we can't create a culture unless we know what we're creating, right? And, you know, in the teams that I work with, it's the culture in which we work doesn't just happen. It's created by each and every member of that organization every day. And so how can organizations build this sense of individual accountability from, from the top down and the ground up so that everybody owns the culture? You used an example in your book of WestJet, right? Mm-hmm. Where the, the CEO, you know, they walk around as though they own this place, right? In a very positive way because everybody was so engaged. So can you can you share a little bit about how very successful organizations with high-performing cultures build that engagement and sense of ownership in the culture? Well, I think first first above all, we keep coming back to this, but you know, there's there is purpose. You t- you t- you know, this entire podcast is about leading on purpose. So that purpose drives focus drives commitment as to what they want to do. And the leaders have to share. I mean, it will be snuffed out fast by team members, even if one is somewhat not aligned. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really key. And I think what this typically means today is different kinds of communication, a lot of it, but saying fewer things. And so that's, you know, communication is really, really important. We talked about the environment of psychological safety, but that allows for team members to be able to buy in without just nodding, you know, contribute to the how, which is really about culture. And if you don't do it, you're going to get left behind anyway, or team members will leave you behind. So it's a, it's an absolute imperative. Um, I then think certainly we're, we're driving organizations forward and and we need to, you know, have an environment of collaborative and cooperation. So in today's day and age, Saying to teams, here's the deadline, you know, here's exactly what needs to get done. Tell me what you need. Doesn't work anymore. They need to be a part of the deadline. Even if you say, we're going to have to get this done in two weeks, um, or maybe it's three, or tell me what you need to do it. So, you know, again, you need to give trust in today's day and age. And some of us as leaders expect people to earn it. And I get, we all understand why it just doesn't work anymore. And so, uh, if something doesn't work anymore, then it, there's an adaptation there. So, giving people some accountability, giving them the resources and information. And, and, and sometimes as team leaders, we have to give the team leadership away and be a contributor. Most of us are player coach. And so, that, that will gain buy-in. And also, it's a lot more fun, frankly, than just directing traffic. That doesn't work. And then I think it's, it's about understanding each individual team member's purpose their own meaning, how they, because they are driving much more satisfaction and import to their work than we give them credit for. And to understand them, we have to know about them. So we have to be vulnerable in order to get them to understand us and do it naturally. But you can use some tools and activities and things to learn about what Nicole's passions are. They may not always be related to that engagement assignment or the role, but over time, I mean, who wouldn't want their role to shift around the things that they truly love to do. We use something called uh, uh, our playbook, which has 20 loves and people's interest and not, not just their organizational and personal and professional development. So taking as simple as taking a real personal interest in the individual um, and, and you know getting some help in, in terms of how to do that. And then I, th- I really do believe, and this is maybe therapy for me because I'm not 
particularly <laughs> strong at it. But I do believe we need to focus more on recognizing contribution than just outcomes. You know, uh, it's a big shift. It's a superbly big shift for some of us, I say quite in earnest, but I think that's really key. And I think, we, you know, there's Oregon, we've had so many, you know, winners that just get it. I mean, they just do it exceedingly well. You know, there's a, um, you, you've probably, you may or may not have heard, but our most admired CEO of the year and a winner last year is a company called Wave Financial, and they have now sold to, to H&R Block. I mean, H&R Block has been wow. the 40 on this Canadian startup business in the financial software business for small businesses. And, you know, their, their CEO and head of HR, um, you know, uh, our Kirk Simpson's the CEO and the winner I was referring to, and Ashira Gobran is their head of HR. They do so much in their organization to truly understand their team members. Uh, you know, one of the great examples I've seen in their office, yes, when we were going into offices, was kind of a, a, this self-expression photo um, exhibit that people would take photos of themselves. And it was so both artistic, cool. I, I've never used it myself or with our organization. Um, I'm not sure how I pull that off, but I can see just how incredibly powerful in getting to know someone. Wow. I, would, I can just see that wall in my head. Talk about self-expression and encouraging self-expression, right? And and hopefully, I, you know, inclusion and diversity and, and everything when you say, you know, take a picture that that really expresses yourself. That's a, that's a really great example. I love that. And, and, you know, these are the kinds of things that all you need to do is tune in that the world has changed from how, you know, we lead in a certain way and everyone adapts to it's now bespoke, right? <laughs> not not uh, them to us, us to them. And if we do that within the context of, of a purpose, of a focus, um, the, it's incredibly powerful. And I think we're only scratching the iceberg on it so far. Well, when we come back, we're going to break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at what Marty calls culture killers, what not to do, and how we can leverage culture champions in our organization. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With KNCO's self-paced e-course, Leading High-Performance Teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit KAND. .co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. Welcome back. So let's talk, Marty. I think we've spent a good amount of time on why culture is so important and and some of the, the real important aspects of culture. I'd like to talk about culture killers, to use your term. Um, and one, I would guess, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's listed is a non-alignment of top leadership. So what happens if leaders at the top aren't bought in or don't make it a priority? Yeah, we call it split personality because it's not necessarily from one, although that can happen too, but it's more likely someone or some people aren't bought in. So you have factions. It, it, it is perhaps the most confusing thing for an organization if some people are going one way and the other. You know, behavior is the easiest thing to identify because most team members aren't sitting into strategic planning meetings or understanding the financials to nth degree unless it's a public company. But they can tell, especially over time, when certain behaviors are different than others. And it's, you know, the thing about leadership is that high people are in leadership roles are expected rightly or wrongly, but more rightly to kind of be aligned. They're expected to have to share the kind of behavior that, that exhibits the culture, but oftentimes too often, unfortunately on occasion, you know, not, not the majority of people on a leadership team, but you'll have someone there who's just been a high performer and whether their previous behaviors were high performance and aligned to the culture or not is hard to tell unless you know deeply, but if they aren't in alignment with the, the rest of the team, it, it can be a culture killer. And if what's worse is if they're high performers or have a lot of what we would call leadership clout or history in the organization, then you're really in for it. And unwinding those kind of things isn't just as simple as, well, that person's got to go. That, that takes real courage to make those calls and, and, and all sorts of other decisions, but it's it's then unwinding those things, those behaviors, because they people will emulate those who are high performers. And so it, being aware of that, um, I've really only been involved a couple of times personally in my own organization about having to make that decision. And it's hard, it's a hard decision to make because you're 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 kind of taking a step back to take a step forward, but that might be two steps or three steps back uh, in, in order to make sure you get there. But um, so it's it's tough to do, and it's also has I would argue is the biggest impact on organizational culture if it isn't dealt with. Absolutely, especially when we're talking about um, psychological safety and the need to be able to take risks and make mistakes and talk about mistakes and lean into vulnerability and and disarm all of the armor that that people tend to build up over time when throughout their career, they're being told, you need to have all the answers to be a good leader. You need to direct to be a good leader. And so now everybody's saying, be vulnerable, (laughs) right? Create a safe space, lean in. 
And it's far more difficult to do that if you don't have leaders doing the same thing, right? Especially the most senior leaders in the organization. Um, If there are still repercussions for speaking up, whatever those repercussions might be. Um, So you're absolutely, I completely agree with you. If there isn't alignment and true, true, genuine, not check the box lip service, um, to culture change, um, then it's, it's just, there's no stickiness there. And, and it can actually have a detrimental effect. If an organization rolls out this big change to, you know, we're going to create a high-performing culture and here's where we're going to change. And the leaders don't lead the way in every sense of the word, then that will actually create distrust and more disengagement And people say, well, why bother? Nobody else is doing it. They're not doing it. I can't trust my leaders. I knew I couldn't trust them. They're asking me to do it. They're not doing it. Um, So that's a huge culture killer. Um, I love this other one, letting your culture go stale. Tell us about that. I think we touched on it a little bit. but Yeah, I was referring to it earlier when I said, you know, when things are successful, I mean, rarely does culture, you know, is, is there not a change mandate when things are under duress, right? Right. <laughs> um, because something has to change, everything has to change, we're not doing so well. But when things are really good, um, that, that can lead to complacency. Mm-hmm. And I've seen uh, high-performance cultures not be great high-performance cultures um, because they've, they've said, look, we're here, we're doing this, let's get 10% more, 15% more, 20% more. You know, we, we actually have seen it. I think they've, they've come a long way in recent years, but with a lot of private equity owned businesses who have a window and a timeline and funds and investors, and it's, it's just get that more, get that more. They're acquiring, they're growing. Uh, and I think, again, that's really started to change with the higher levels of sophistication many private equity firms have and leaning on great uh, human capital uh, you know, uh, expertise, we either within or as consultants. But bad habits set in in good times much more uh, um, frequently than in bad. And then all of a sudden, if things start to go sideways from a behavioral standpoint, they can also be overlooked because the performance is good. Uh, but then right. it's usually short-lived. And uh, so what you see then is, is a fair amount of churn in people. Uh, and interestingly, you don't see as much churn at the top because those financial days are good. Mm-hmm. You do see mm-hmm. it. I'm not saying leaders aren't principled. It's not right. in any way. But you tend to start to see it first in mid-management and then, and then at the front and certainly at the front line, sometimes concurrent to that. So um, you have to be acutely aware of, of where how your culture is evolving mm-hmm. so that you can – it's like anything. It's like your own general health. You know, we can't see inside of ourselves. Right. Require comprehensive, you know, testing. And we now are all more concerned with immediate feedback based on smartwatches and all all these things are good, but only to the point of if they inform us over time of our progress or lack thereof. So we, we can do something purposefully about it. So when we talk about complacency and and apathy, you know, I see that a little bit, well, quite a bit, actually, when we look at team development. So the the team development cycle, um, Bruce Tuckman's, right, forming, storming, norming, performing. I see a lot of teams get stuck in the norming um, and 
um, not able to move into performing sometimes for fear of not wanting to rock the boat and rocking the boat is necessary to get to high performing. We need to challenge the status quo, right? We need to look for ways of stretching ourselves. Um, And so this complacency and apathy can set in too from a perspective of, oh, well, why bother? Nothing's going to change or why bother? Things are good, right? Don't fix what's broken. And this is not the greatest analogy, but I can equate it to, you know, uh, like when there's a crisis, when you drop a frog in boiling water, it feels the pain and it wants to jump out. We react, we want to change and shift. But when you slowly turn up the heat on a frog in room temperature water, they don't feel the pain, mm-hmm. right? And, and if we don't pay attention to the signs that our culture is going awry um, and stay ahead of that by actively feeding it, um, then it can go stale, like you said. And so you also have recognition and you mentioned that. So is that a lack of recognition that can be a culture killer or the wrong kind of recognition or what's that all about? Yeah, I mean, again, I think I'll use my own organization. We are we're pretty good. We're let's say average to good and have been at recognition, but it's based on outcomes. We are a performance-based culture. Every year we do our own cultural assessment, number one thing, high performance. But we are in, and, and I'm happy to say this publicly, we are in a, uh, a, a transition to becoming a great high performance culture. If, if we could win our own award, we'd love to. We don't know if that would be the case today. And yet I still think we have a very good culture, but it, 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 It's on a journey to be great. Good is the enemy of great. Mm -hmm. So um, great analogy, actually. You didn't think it was a good one. I think it is a good one. But I also think that um, when you are good, to get to great really is tough. I mean, it requires change. And change isn't easy. You know, I look at this Tampa Bay Lightning team as a sports fan that won the Stanley Cup this year in a bubble. Yeah. (laughs) It was the same for everyone, I understand, but they had the best, one of the best national or best regular seasons of all teams last season, two seasons ago, and lost in the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, I'm sure that the changes in personnel, the changes in style, they did it with the same coach and the same general manager, the same coaching staff. They brought in some different people, different style, committed to a different way, and in a very different, harder time. They won, and it wasn't easy. A number of teams could have won that Stanley Cup. That's a true commitment to a change, not just a change with a, 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 a plan, a big change. If you go back and analyze what the general manager said, what John Cooper, the coach, said about doing things differently, about committing to it, about staying the course, this was not easy in any way. And so what happens is when these this kind of a thing happens is, you know, they go to receive the Stanley Cup, not as a captain who then calls his teammates over, but as a team. It was incredible for me to see. And so they made a, a, a commitment not to do it just better the same way, but to change and commit to that change to, to get from really good, maybe even great, to, out, to, to the best. That's not easy. And that's why it doesn't happen as much as it should, because, you know, good is great and, it, and it's okay to be good. But I think at the very raw, at least it's taken me a long time to realize this, but our our team members and the people that we serve, they deserve the best. Mm -hmm. 
right? They deserve everything we can give them. And that's what I keep in my mind. And, you know, look, I, we've had some of the tools in our own organization and yet we haven't employed them all. Well, that's, I don't know if that's acceptable anymore. And so, you know, we, we need to do a better job. And I think leaders truly who are constructed the right way want to. They just don't know always how. Always how. Right? And so, um, it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity. And I think, I think the pandemic, the change to a hybrid style is going to make a lot of organization. It's going to make us feel, even if they don't, it's not necessarily the case, that we need to change. I think we do. And I think most, many will, and they're going to reap the rewards of that. Um, especially if we, there's so much great information out there now, can take a few things that align to who they are, do it really well. They do that, measure it along the way, then they'll boil their own frog. Absolutely. And that culture is even more important now, even from a sense of connection. Culture binds us together, right? Purpose, our values, our raison d'etre, why we're together. That can bind us and help us stay connected even when we're dispersed and, and working remotely. Marty, thank you. This was really interesting. I always enjoy talking to you. I want to remind people, please... Sign up. You want to hear more from top leaders um, who know how to build winning cultures. Um, please go to waterstonehc.com and sign up for their complimentary virtual corporate culture summit, summit that's happening on October 22nd. Please also, I would love for you all to um, check out our ebook. If you're looking for behaviors and practices to really drive your team's performance as you build a high-performing culture, check out teamfitnesstool.com slash ebook and download your complimentary ebook. And that can be your handbook for, for beginning the conversation with your team to, to drive your culture. So with that, Marty, do you have any parting words for those leaders who want to build culture? Well, I mean, I think you've said it best, and and uh, I would download your ebook for sure. But I, I think what you said resonates so strongly with me that really the height of a team's performance compared to its potential, it's directly related to the depth of connection amongst its members. And if you can keep that in mind and really work to build that connection with purpose, with a plan, uh, then then you will outperform your peers. Thank you, Marty. Thank you so much. And until next week, I wish all of you all the best. Take good care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.